short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty. Welcome to uh, Happy Kissinger is finally dead day, right? Um, <laughs> Dreams was, do come true. Yesterday, yes. but uh, I'm still celebrating. We'll yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Party favors all over the place here. While I was waiting for you to turn up this morning, I was watching uh, an old Christopher Hitchens interview talking about his relationship or lack thereof. With right. uh, Kissinger, Christopher Hitchens oh. wrote a book. I think it was called "The Trial of Henry Kissinger," where he went through all of his war crimes. And mm. he said, not only would Kissinger not meet with him when he was preparing the book, he wouldn't even take uh, questions, like written questions, sent to him. And right. he stipulated in all of his speaking engagements uh, that he wasn't to be in the same building ever as Christopher Hitchens. Um, wow, that's so, something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I haven't done anything wrong, but at no point ask me any questions. Okay, let's get this mm. interview started. Mm. I mean, that's mm. insane. Mm. Anyway, yeah, we'll get we'll get to Kissinger in this show at some stage, I guess. But right now, it's nineteen yes. fifty. This is two fifty one for people who are counting. Uh, it's right? nineteen fifty. We're still in Iran. We're still building yes, up to Operation Ajax. The British, at the end of our last episode, installed General Ali Razmara as the new Prime Minister of Iran. They were pretty confident that he was the yes. man to get the job oh. done. What is the yes. job at hand as far as the British are concerned in 1950 in Iran, Ray? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I can't stress enough that the man and the hour have met. He, he was this military guy. He was supposed to be tough. He was the chief of staff of the army. So his job, his number one goal... The Shah's watching him, uh, the oil company's watching him, and London, Britain's home office is watching him. And his one job to do is to get the supplemental agreement passed by the Majlis so they can alter the uh, the deal a little bit, try to uh, try to keep the people happy. But it's still it's still overall a shitty deal. Just just real quick. Um there's to be a guarantee of Anglo-Iranian payments that would never drop below below four million. It should probably be a lot more than that. The, there would be a reduction in the area where the British were allowed to drill, and again, that's that's always a good thing. And there was a promise that more Iranians would be trained for administrative positions. But as we've stressed on the show, and you, it will come as no surprise, there was no path for Iranians to e either learn uh, more about the business, uh, take over the business, or get uh, executive positions. So it's all bullshit, nor are the Iranians allowed to look at the company's books. So they, the British want this passed, and they don't care anymore. They're very impatient. They're used to running things, and they're trying to ramrod it through. And General Razmara is their man. He is going to get this done for them. Ramrod Razmara is what they call him. He's going to ramrod the supplemental agreement through. Ram it up the Iranians a-holes. Yes. yes. Now, of course, that's, that's job. Our, yeah. our man of the hour, Eminem, Mohammad Mossadegh, yes. is, is furious uh, yes. about the appointment of this uh, yet, a, yet another British stooge to yeah. be the prime minister of the country. I'm furious that the Brits are still interfering. This is, and you're like, I, I can't stress this enough. This is after World War II, five yeah. years after World yeah. War II, supposedly the Atlantic Charter, freedom yeah. of all nations to choose their form of government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yes. this is the thing that always shocks me the most when I recall it, when I'm doing my notes on this, is right. this isn't even fucking blue blood conservative aristocrats like Churchill born in a castle. This yes. is Clement Attlee's Labour quasi-socialist, quasi-communist lefty government that's running things here. It's, it's, yes. it's Ernest Bevan as the foreign minister. It's Clement Attlee as the prime minister. In the whole scheme of British geopolitics at this point in time, they're supposed right. to be the quote-unquote, good guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the progressive yeah. guys that that threw out the conservative yeah. government of, of Churchill uh, towards the end of World War II. 
they're still just another pack of cunts. Another pack of British <laughs> colonialist, imperialist cunts yes. uh, running things. So Mossadegh is furious. Yes, you yes. can. If I could defend the cunts, because I feel more comfortable on that side, even though I've rarely seen one. Um, for the for the British point of view, it's and you've stressed this plenty of times, it's after the war, uh, their economy is devastated. They're going to be on food rations for a very long time to come. And this is the golden goose. Not only does the British Navy get its oil at a fraction of the price of the market value they're making shit tons of money year after year after year this is something this is you could almost argue and if you were in london you probably did argue this is a matter matter of national security for the british having said that having as far as the iranians go this is a bigger issue for them as far as national security because there is literally another country running their government so but you're absolutely right and for you listeners out there try to count the number of times that the british get a a possible opportunity to make things better to make things not right but just better maybe to the point that Mossadegh would tolerate but just count the number of times they get an opportunity to go oh maybe we don't have to be complete cunts we could just be partial cunts Try to count. Let's limit our punch ship a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, like they, the, the British, as is evident, and again, this is the Labour Party running things. It just, yeah, just have their heads yeah. so far up their asses uh, yes. when it comes to uh, how to treat the Iranians here. And like, yes, look, I, I get it. You know, they, they have invested time and effort into mm-hmm. securing oil in this country that they, they they discovered it they found they, it yeah yeah they they've, they've dug it out of the ground they're refining mm. it it's making them a shit ton of money it helped them win world war ii they're right. very excited uh, about this oil i get that they feel and you know when they did those deals with corrupt uh shahs at the time they mm-hmm. felt that they were going to have this like if you had if you had free money coming in, or oh you yeah, know, and you're expecting it's going to be coming in for hundreds of years. All yes. of a sudden, somebody says, "Sorry, uh, <clears throat> we need to renegotiate this." Yeah, you, you, you're going to be unhappy about yeah. that. But the fact is, they they did a shockingly corrupt deal with a shockingly corrupt Shah that yes. fucked over an entire country of people. Literally, uh, you would think that at some point some reasonable person in the British huh. government is going to go, you know what, we need to do the right thing here. But there's yes. no there's no right thing discussions going on. At least, yes. but we, we, we have seen in earlier episodes, there were British commentators at the time saying, oh, my God, all these deals yeah. that we did are so fucking corrupt and so egregious that uh, how do we look at ourselves in the mirror? Exactly. Are, in 1950, the U.S. appointed a new ambassador to Iran as well. Uh, this is a guy by the name of Henry F. Grady. Nice name. And, um, well, yeah, nice name. Um, he was also, at different points uh, before this, the U.S. ambassador to India. In fact, he was the first U.S. ambassador to India, served from 47 nice. to 48. He was also right. the U.S. ambassador to Nepal at the same time. Then he was the U.S. ambassador to Greece from 1948 to 50, and then Iran, 50 to 51. Uh, He is probably best known in uh, historical circles for Mm -hmm. proposing the Morrison-Grady plan for the solution to the Palestine problem in 1946. He and British Deputy Prime Minister Herbert Morrison... Right. came up with the Morrison-Grady plan. Herbert Morrison is uh, going to come up later on in this episode. But Sadly, they cooked yes. up the, or maybe in the next episode, the Morrison-Grady plan yeah. um, Please, was rejected by the Jews. Well, we don't have to go into it, but it was rejected by both the Jews and the Arabs at the time. But he, he had a crack at trying to solve the, the Palestine problem yeah. all them days ago. But- yeah, the point is he's got experience. He's a real ambassador. He's coming in. I don't know how sincere he is, but he's got experience. Let's see what he can do. So how was he received? Oh, he was received with open <laughs> barrels by the 
Iranians. The Iranians were not happy. Like he, he did nothing really to them right. at this stage. He hadn't he had a chance. But yeah. there was just there was a whole round of new rioting when he gets to Iran. Just, yeah. I mean, the Iranians are just sick to death of foreign interference in their country at this point, whether it's yeah. the Russians or the British or the Americans. They're yes. just a soccer ball. They've been kicked Any, around exactly. for too long. Any white guy shows up in a suit, we automatically don't trust you. And we cannot emphasize enough that the nationalistic fervor, the movement, the nationalistic front that Mossadegh is heading, I mean, this is building up. This is mid or early, excuse me, spring 1950. This is building up, believe it, but believe it or not, it is actually going to get so much more intense. But you're right. It's been over 100 years. The people are pissed. They're just the sight of this guy sets them off. So let's see what happens. Have I talked to you about the OSS OSS one one seven films? One one seven that doesn't sound familiar. Oh my god! You need to watch the OSS one one seven films, man. Do you know who um, Jean Dujardin Dujardin is? The French actor. I don't think so. Oh man, you got to got to get into this guy. So um, Jean Dujardin, he's a French actor. He won an Academy Award, I think, for his film The Artist um, came out okay. 2011, sort of a black and white film where he was like a silent era movie star. That's um, familiar. Yeah. Great performance. Anyway, he's he's made a series of films about OSS 117. It's basically Bond. And he right. looks a lot like a young Sean Connery. So oh, he do, he's done this whole series of spoof bond films oss 117s actually was a french actually they're based on a series of books that predate the james bond books but about a guy who's pretty much james bond he's a right. secret agent hmm. and, and i think the author of them uh wrote like a hundred of these books and they're all serious and and they were films and tv shows made of them back in the 50s 60s but then they sort of went out of fashion and sort of 20 odd years ago um they brought them back with Jean Dujardin, Dujardin playing OSS-117. Mm-hmm. But they're spoofy uh, films right. now where he's he's playing this um, misogynistic, racist, yeah. Yeah. imperialistic, <laughs> colonialist, secret agent. So he's pretending um, to be British. All right. No, that's fine. Yeah, all fr- and French. I mean, the French, <laughs> French are just as bad. And French. Man. Yes. Yes. Let's not, oh. Uh, oh, don't, don't get me started on fucking no, Ridley Scott's not, Napoleon so, film. No, Jeez. no. Because I watched right. all 27,000 of your videos going. Of my TikToks. Here's, here's what else he did wrong. Yeah. Here's, oh, uh, and I have not even begun. I'm, I'm saving him all up for when I do an episode with Markham when he finally gets around to seeing it. God, right? that is, it, it was just. Yeah, the worst, probably the worst night of my life. I think, right. um, all told, seeing that Ridley Scott film, it was just infuriating. Let me just ask and, you real quick. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, my boys had got premiere tickets, a premiere in Brisbane, like previews, of because they they're big shot yeah. celebrities. Right. <laughs> right. And they invited me along, but it was on the condition oh, that God. I wasn't allowed to yell or scream or throw my shoe at the screen during the. That's. During the, the film, which was two hours and 38 minutes long. So I had to I hold it just, in. I would have just taken the, your shoes. I would have just, no, give me the shoes right now. Sorry, they did. Ahead. They actually, they tied me up. They zip tied <laughs> me, you know, stuck a gag in my mouth before we went uh, in. Little turned on, right? Yeah. So uh, can I, God. sorry, mm. just one quick question and then we can move on. Sorry. You've explained the historical inaccuracies, and I, and I totally get that. I mean, I don't know what the writer was thinking, but here's my one question. Putting aside the historical inaccuracies, was it a good film? Was no. it a good – oh, no. fuck. So okay. my boys are 23. <laughs> they know next to nothing about Napoleon. Um, right. When we got out of the film, they said, what would you think? And I said, well, before I tell you what I think, what did you think as, yeah. as a film? You're 23, big budget, Ridley Scott. And they, yeah. they both were a combination of it was so fucking boring. I didn't understand anything. It was right. incoherent. Um, looked yeah. beautiful, but I have no idea who Napoleon is after all that. What's going on? Like they asked me, Hunter asked me going into it, what's the – like if you had to summarize why Napoleon's important in one line, you know, what would it be? And, and I gave yeah. him something. And he came out and he goes, I didn't get anything out of that film that was even remotely close to what you told right. me yeah. going why into it. Why should I care? Like, 
Exactly. Just yeah. boring um, and incoherent it's, as a film. It's disappointing. Yeah. And and then they uh, gave you your shoes back. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just and then check. they untied me. Yeah. Yeah. Just anyway, always says one one seven. One of the films. Sorry. I think it's the most recent one they did. Right. Um, is called um, From Africa with Love. It's set in nineteen eighty one. Wow. And wow. It's 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 basically the plot is there's a French uh, puppet dictator of this African country mm-hmm. who's facing revolutionaries, you know, Marxist revolutionaries. And the French send 117 over there to help Damn him right. win a, a fraudulent election that he's going to be running <laughs> in to, to shut up the revolutionaries. And what? it's great. He, he arrives there and he's like being driven through the streets and all the people are lining the streets and waving flags. And he's like, oh, they love me. Look at this. Oh, they, love, they love the French. They, they love, love the they white see. man. Of yes. course, behind the scenes, they're all getting ready to poison him and shoot him. And but he thinks wow. he thinks they all love the French because they brought all this colonial goodness to Africa. And um, he's so well, they, fucking delusional about God. how much he's loved and the French are loved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's, it's really, and even before yeah. he goes, he's meeting with the head of the French Secret Service, and uh, they're sort of uh, just making racist comment after racist comment about the Africans and the darkies. And Jesus, um, it's really, yeah. really, really funny stuff. Well, since you brought that up and, and, and we're going to go into this listeners and you're going to get a chance to experience this uh, through, through, through the next two episodes. But I, it finally dawned on me because this is 2023, you know, we try to do better, but the British literally could not, as far as I can tell, in their heads comprehend treating almost anybody, certainly the Iranians, as an even semi-equal. I think it was just far beyond their comprehension. And like you said earlier, they are the progressives, progressives but having said that, they're progressive from compared to the caveman conservatives. So so again, they're like, yeah, we're the good guys, but everybody should be in their place because we're British. And to make that absolutely clear what I'm saying, we're at the top and you're all somewhere below us. And they don't even the British don't even think of the French as their equals. And so no matter what happens, no matter how bad, no matter how intense it gets, they just cannot wrap their heads around the idea of treating these people as anywhere close. Equal and, and of course, when you factor in the economics, it they need it to be an unfair system because they're benefiting. But I just could and, not get over that. Yeah, and, and they don't try and hide it. I mean, when you read that's the other the, part, the audacity the features yeah, in Parliament sorry. and the reports yes. that were written, they're very clear in saying yeah. these Iranians are basically fuck knuckle barbarians <laughs> and fuck them in the horse yes. they rode in on. Like, and they're lucky they don't to even have pretend. us. They yes. don't even try and put a nice face yeah. on it they're just straight up racist pieces of shit anyway yeah rasmara told the british he becomes pm he tells the british that yes. he thinks the only way he can get the supplemental agreement approved right. was if they sweeten the deal a little bit just uh, allow yeah. iranian auditors to go over the books train up some more iranian managers make some royalty payments in advance yeah and the british read his his suggestions and they say look we think this is a very sensible proposal and we're going to immediately accept (laughs) all of these conditions (laughs) i must have looked at a different book oh no wait sorry sorry no i was reading the wrong notes actually they told him to go suck a dick i'm not exactly how you say that in persian but they told him to go suck a dick Fuck all the way off, yes. And, and now my personal hero of this entire story is Sir Francis Shepard, the British diplomat to Iran. This guy has got one mantra, and that's, I can win. I can still do it. I can still do it. His answer to is, no, I hear your idea. I hear the idea of a compromise. I guess what I'm trying to say is, no, fuck off, and that's my final answer. I don't need to phone a friend. Fuck all the way off. We will not do that. Now, we might give some medical treatment to some of the, you know, we could, but, but we're not changing anything. Why? Because we feel like we don't have to. Yeah. So, Rasmara gave in eventually. He realized that uh, the British weren't going to take any of his suggestions, and his job, as they tell him, is just yeah. to figure out how to ram this up the ass of the yeah. Iranians. Ramming hard. So yeah. first thing he does is uh, he appoints a guy as his head of propaganda, a guy called Baram Sharog, which yes. is 
also the magical incantation that I say to turn myself into a donkey. Baram Sharog! Comes in hand a well-hung donkey. Christ. Right? Yeah. yeah. Now, this guy is pretty interesting. Um, during world, I think he worked for Murdoch. During World <laughs> War II, Sharog had been a pro-Nazi radio guy. Yes. Just on Iranian radio, day and night, talking about how great the Nazis were, yeah. what a great world it was going to be when they took over the world and they destroyed the British and the French and the Americans. Right. Uh, talking about all the wonderful victories they're having uh, all, all across oh, Europe, yeah. Africa, etc. Violently anti-British during World yes. War II. British were scum yes. of the earth. The first half. Nazis were the, were the, were the Aryan gods that were going to rule everything. Now, right. five years after World War II, <laughs> it becomes violently pro-British <laughs> and is on the Violet. radio constantly talking about how yes. great the British are, yes. how great Anglo-Iranian oil company is, what a great job they're doing. You know, can't, can't. Yeah. No, one, no one knows how to get oil out of the ground like AIOC. <laughs> Man, he's just a big fan, big fan. Loves it. Which is... Which is where the Monty Python got the idea for, you know, what have the British done for us? And he was able to list all these things. But yeah. love, love the British. It, it, but the, the ironic thing was when he was trashing the British, he did help stew the anti-British feeling. Don't get me wrong. London was certainly doing enough on their own. But now that, it, now that he helped cause the problem, I don't think he's so much trying to fix it going, look, you sign the check. You tell me what to say. And I will say it with as much passion and conviction as is there are zeros on this check do you hear me i am your guy so yeah so he's got this he's he's, he's spouting pro-british uh, propaganda and he finds a few newspaper columnists and editors who need some cash and let's be honest we can all use a little extra cash and he gets them on the uh how should i put this delicately the the oil company's payroll list and they they're bribed and they start saying positive things about the british so as far as a propaganda campaign the iranian people are hearing a lot of good things about what britain is doing for them but when they look out on the streets it's a very different picture and by this time the majlis had a Appointed their oil committee that's going to be yes. set up to review yes. the terms and conditions of the supplemental agreement. And guess who was the chairman of the oil committee? Marshall Mathers the <laughs> third, Muhammad Mossadegh. He big boss. Yeah, he, big boss. Mossy, Mossy. Yeah, big M. Yeah, he's the chairman and, of this uh, committee. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and he cares about. Only one thing, which is getting the British out of right. Iranian oil. And he doesn't even care about the dollars and the cents of the no, agreement. There's no, there's no fuck sweetening it. the deal for Mossadegh. Right, exactly. He wants the British out. He wants the Americans out. He wants the Russians out. He wants yes. everybody out of his fucking country. He wants Iran to be for the Iranians. He wants it to be independent. He yeah. wants them to be able to run their own affairs, and he's just not gonna—he's yeah. not gonna really be open to any negotiations around that. And the British had managed to piss off so many different groups of people <laughs> in Iran at this point that he wasn't the only one that wanted them out. Most Tip of the, the iceberg, yeah. Most of the religious groups wanted them out too, including the Ayatollah at the time. Abolasem Kashani. Yeah. Yes. So now the Ayatollah isn't the um, young uh, uh, Ruola Khomeini who will become mm -hmm. the Ayatollah 30 years later. Right. By the way, um, how much do you know about what an Ayatollah is or what the word Ayatollah means, Ray? Um, the Ayatollah, that means I told you, so do it. But that is the extent of my knowledge. Break, break, break it down. Atola, you don't know. Okay, Atola. Atola, but I don't I, think she's she going to listen. Atola, Atola, you don't go. You don't touch my shit, okay? Atola, Atola, a thousand times, man. Atola, all the time. She don't listen. I think you know. Atola. I, I got to do things in this world. My balls <laughs> and my word. 
And I don't break either of them for nobody. I told her that. I told her. I told her. Yeah. Yeah, we can stop that. We're, we're going to hell, straight to hell. So what, break the word down for me in a professional sense. It means, um, I think it means a sign of God or, or reflection of God, the divine sign Sounds of right. God, something like yeah. that. But basically yeah. it's, it's an honorific title for the person who is like at the top of the Shia clergy in Iran, ah. the Shia council. It gotcha. really uh, became a thing, I think, in widespread usage in the 20th century. Um, you know, it, and, and it's kind of changed over the years as well. Like um, mm-hmm. supposedly anyone who passes their final uh, exam now is known as an Ayatollah. It's not oh, really wow. used in Sunni Islam. It's a Shia thing. Gotcha. So, But it's also not used by the Shia in lebanon or or pakistan or india Hmm. um i think there are some ayatollahs in iraq but it's really associated with iran and the leader of the shia clergy in iran so the ayatollah at the time in 1950 is uh, kashani yeah um the young khomeini ayatollah uh, the the young to be ayatollah khomeini right he was part of a religious group at the time that we'll talk about as we go forwards that were not fans of Mossadegh. They were yes. much more hardcore. Mossadegh was fairly secular. He believed that he was. They believed that he was straying away from the tenets of Islam, and right. that he, you know, he wasn't religious enough for them. Yeah. But the Ayatollah of the time hated the British. Was comfortable with Mossadegh. So he's able to build. You know, he's already got this national front that he's oh, created yeah. or co-created. He's able mm-hmm. to pull in support from a lot of other bodies as well, including the religious bodies, against the British. When yeah. Razmara got up in front of the Marjolies to make a speech <laughs> in favour of the oil company, right. he was shouted down, called a British lackey. Um, no one was take you know just going to listen to anything he had to say. He was extremely right. unpopular. And the AIOC is extremely unpopular. And, and I, I think it's important that we dwell on this because I think what what has come down to us um, via whatever, 70 years of propaganda, 80 years of mm-hmm. propaganda, if, if, you, if you take a thin reading of it, and I've had people say this on TikTok and Facebook to me over the years, that it was right. all Mozadek. It was Mozadek who hated the British. It was Mozadek that wanted to nationalise the oil. The point I'm trying to make here is it wasn't just Mossadegh. No. It was right across the board. You know, nearly yeah. everyone in Iran fucking hated the British and hated the oil concession. Now, Mossadegh had played a role in, in firing the them face. up about this. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah. He yeah, was one the of the faces, but he's right, not the right. only person. Like pretty much the, nearly the entire country by 1950 yeah. fucking hates the British, <laughs> hates the Americans, hates the West. And this is... Well before the overthrow of Mossadegh, it's well before the reinstallation yes. of the Shah. Iran already hated the West for fucking with their country by 1950. Yeah, and and if I could, um, Mossadegh wouldn't have to do very much to work up the people because Britain is so entrenched in the comp- uh, in the country that. Everybody who has any dealings with them has probably been slapped with racism. They're being treated differently. And so what what Mossadegh may or may not do, these people can see on a daily basis what the British are doing to them, how they're treating them in their own country. So you're absolutely right across the board. When you can have secular leaders and, and you know, pretty far right religious readers go, look, we can't stand the sight of each other, but for this... We're going to be in the same room. We're going to sit side by side and we're going to fucking hold hands until this is done. So you're absolutely right. It was across the board. And that's how you gauge how much you fucked up when all the enemies within a country go, no, we're coming together just to mess with you. That's that should have been Britain's first little you know, warning sign that you've you, they've gone way too far. But, you know, they uh, for some reason, they just thought if they kept hammering away, they would push this they would, through like. It's worked before. It's worked. Yeah. Oh, and by this time, Mossadegh is 67, 68 years old. I just wanted to give that reference point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the oil committee chaired by Mossadegh meets to decide what they're going to do about this supplemental agreement. 
right? Uh, Mossadegh and others were also trying to get the National Front to agree to nationalize the oil interests of the country. Just go fuck it and take it all out of their hands. All the way. And nationalize it. But the National Front wasn't ready to commit to that just yet. But they did agree, the oil committee did agree to reject the supplemental agreement. Right. So they're not going to nationalise it, but they're also not going to accept the British's uh, the British terms, the new terms. Well, so, yeah. well, you made a good point. So here, on one hand, here's Britain going, "We're not going to give a fucking inch." And then here's some people, and you can call them moderates, but they're just in the middle. They're like, "Well, just give, just make the money fifty fifty, just make the profits fifty fifty. Let's call that." a moderate approach. You got the British one um, being extreme on their end. You got the moderates. And then you got people like Mossadegh going, no, fuck it. It's ours. We're going to nationalize the company. We're going to take it. So what went from let's get the supplemental passed to Mossadegh and others like him going, we're going to take it all. So they are truly, I mean, it's the two extreme ends. They don't trust each other. They don't like each other. And they certainly do not want to compromise. Hey, did you watch the new Doctor Who episode? No, I'm I'm saving it up. Was it good? Please tell me it was good. Oh, so fucking good, man. Good. Okay, I've been looking. Oh, I, I have good. to sign up for Disney Plus to watch it, but I am looking forward to it. So yes. good. I mean, am I going to cry? I'm going to cry. I, d- aren't I? I, I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I it's have ridiculous. Yeah. It's stupid. It makes no sense. But it's just. <laughs> But it doesn't like matter. It's the best, Doctor. It's just yeah. a return to joy, de vivre. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's stupid. It's heroic. It's um, sad. It's it, just yeah. got all the emotions. <laughs> Real quick, I, first of all, David Tennant and uh, uh, Donna. I can't remember the Catherine actresses. Tate. Catherine Tate, first of all, their chemistry is amazing. But every time I've ever seen her interviewed, she has no idea. She doesn't know the plot line. She doesn't know actors. She doesn't know characters. She's like, whoa, oh, yeah. So I think she literally learns her lines, goes in, does her wacky stuff. And don't get me wrong, I could watch her all day long. But I don't think she's grasping what the fuck's going on. But anyways, when those two get together, magic happens, and I'm looking forward to it. Russell T. Davies is back writing it, and it's Thank got his Christ. just Thank his Christ. love for Doctor Who comes through, and Tennant's exactly. love for Doctor Who comes through. Exactly, it's just it's really it was so happy. It made me yeah. so happy, particularly after Napoleon. I needed to. You needed that. I needed <laughs> so the Parliament. Sorry, sorry. So the partial agreement, or whatever the heck that thing was called, is kaput. They they have stomped on it. and They voted. They rejecting what the British wanted. What little the British were offering. Sorry, sorry. And then December yeah. 1950, they get news that Tehran, uh, they get news in Tehran that the Arabian American Oil Company, aka Aramco, right. had reached a new deal with Saudi Arabia under which it would share its profits with the Saudis on a 50 50 basis. What? London turns to Washington and goes, What are you fucking doing to me? You're killing me, guy. Come on. Making him look bad. Sorry. Yeah. Well, the ambassador, Shepard, sends a cable yeah. to London saying, well, look, you know, the Americans <laughs> have set a new standard now, 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, we, maybe... We've got to at least match yeah. that with yeah. Iran or we're going to look like a pack of cunts. The foreign <laughs> office and the oil company straight up rejected the idea yeah. that they should renegotiate the split. Right. Yeah. So now so it's another you know, another chance. Another chance they could have. I mean, because if yeah. you think about it, just for a second, if London had tweaked the agreement, they might still be there today. Who in the fuck knows? The point is they could have appeased to a degree the Iranians and still made a ton of money. But they're like, no, it's all or nothing, and we're used to winning. So they say to Shepard, who who himself is a hardcore uh, person. Fuck you and fuck the horse you rode in on. So this is another chance that they had to hear a little bit of wisdom and they blow it off. Yeah. So Rasmara continues to do his best to try and get the Marjolies to compromise. They're not going to compromise. The oil committee's not going to compromise. The British aren't going to compromise. Jesus. So like you, when um, D'Angelo comes over, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's nowhere for him to go. Nowhere to... 
<laughs> 10 years baby we've been doing this for 10 years get out of my head sorry sorry <laughs> yeah rock in a hard place yeah. that's what i got sorry go ahead so there are more protests and the shah has realized at this stage that Razmara is just a lame duck he can't get anything yeah. done despite him yeah. being this amazing general who was gonna be the magic bullet he can't get shit done and right. he, the, the Shah starts lobbying politicians about who they think should replace Raza. Yeah. Only one name ever comes <laughs> back to him, and that name is? Big Moss. Mossy. Mossy. Mossy Moss. Mossy. 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 Yeah. Mossy Mossy. People can't even imagine another leader because this guy's – preeminence he, he's so dominant in the political sphere of iran right now they can't imagine someone else being prime minister they don't want to and also it's becoming quite clear that no prime minister is going to be able to get anything done good point. unless he's got mossadegh on his side so it's either going to be mossadegh or somebody who's you know friendly with mossadegh close to mossadegh anyway yes turns out rasmara's time was up not just as pm but uh, just, just generally speaking, his time was up. So there's massive protests going on in Tehran, thousands of protesters shouting death to the British. Yes. And Razmara and a friend of the Shah, a guy by the name of Asadola Alam. Right. You know, I told him, don't you ask for a dollar. I asked a dollar once and they said to me, Huge you don't mistake. ask a dollar. Yeah, don't yeah. ask a dollar. Don't ask you. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, that was I, I have dollar. <laughs> don't ask a dollar. We're going to get so much trouble. <laughs> I give you a dollar for every ass. <laughs> it's an ass a dollar. That's a good that's rate. Trust me. Hey. You think you could do better? <laughs> a dollar you think you could an do ass? better than an Come ass? On. a dollar? Yeah. I got you the best it. bitches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> offer you more than a dollar per ass? You, you take that. I, I get it. That's a dollar. Come on down to raise asses. We got the best deals. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But Holy before shit. we go, before we go on, ten years, I, ten I, years I, of this shit. I want to stress to the listeners: the people when they would march in the streets and chant, they would literally, you know, down with the supplemental agreement. They've gone beyond that. Just like Cam said, they're now saying death to Britain or death to the British. I mean. That's a hell of a jump. It's not like we don't like you anymore. It's like we would really, really, really like to see you dead. And maybe we'll help. I don't know. But truly, it's it's getting more intense as 1950 goes on. You know, some of the protesters were being paid. They were like paid protesters. Do you know yes. how much they were getting paid? Uh, no, tell me. A dollar? A dollar. It's an ass a dollar. <laughs> you go, hey, you, you go want a protest? This, you get a dollar. You get a dollar. You get, uh, I give you an ass a dollar. I give you an ass a dollar if you go. <laughs> I give you the other half when you come back. Uh... Let, me, let me go. You go. Yeah. <laughs> ass a dollar. Ass a dollar. So the PM and the friend of the Shah, ass a dollar, go to a funeral of a religious right. leader that's being held at a mosque in Tehran where these riots are going on. Yes. They get out of their car. They're walking into the mosque. A young man steps out of the crowd with a pistol, right. mm -hmm. fires, and Razmara falls dead. Right. And unlike when the Shah was shot in the cheek and I think the grazed his shoulder, the police grabbed this guy. He's a young carpenter, not unlike Jesus. Uh, he's a member of a religious terror group, and the cops beat the shit out of him because uh, maybe they grabbed the gun and it's safe. But I'm sure you got to, more to say on this guy. But, but supposedly, yeah, this young guy comes up and just walks up and shoots the prime minister of Iran. Something doesn't smell right in the state of Denmark. Yeah, the young man's name was Khalil Tamasibi, mm -hmm. and he was a member of a religious terror group called Fadaya uh, Fed. Uh, let me try that again. Fadayane, Fadayane mm -hmm. Islam, Fadayane. Right. Now, the Fadayane, uh, which translates as devotees of Islam, fundamentalist Shia Islamic group, which also known as the Fedayeen of Islam, 
Mm. Founded in 1945 by a, a theology student by the name of, well, his nickname, his like code right. revolutionary name was Nawab Safavi. Nawab yes. Safavi. Yes. Uh, he believed that their goal was to cleanse Islam of the corrupting influences, both from the West and from inside, return Iranian society to what they considered the pure principles of Islam. And they right. are considered the forerunners of all of the militant slash terrorist Islamic fundamentalist groups today. Wow. Goes wow. back to this one started in 1945 by Safavi. Yes. Um, if you go and, and you you read up on you know, Iranian terrorism, fundamentalist Islamic groups, there were groups before this that were trying yeah. to restore Iran to a purer form of Islam in their view or restore Islam to a purer form of Islam right. but without the use of terrorism as a mechanism to bring that about it was really the fedayeen of fedayane fedayane mm -hmm. i believe it's pronounced according right. to church gpt now <laughs> Fans of Dune may think that sounds familiar. In Dune, oh, right. the uh, people of Arrakis have the uh, Fedaikin, the Fedaikin, right. which ends up as Muad'Dib's uh, commandos, his personal bodyguard, his death commandos, the Fedaikin. Right. Yeah. Hmm. When, when Frank Herbert was writing Dune, it's, a lot of it was based on loosely based on his studies of the Middle East. That makes um, sense. Persian history and culture. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's where the Fedei can come from, is the Fadayan, Fadayan. Yeah. So this wasn't their first assassination either. They'd killed an author in 1946, a former prime minister in 1949, and they were behind the attempted assassination on the Shah in 1949 as well. Damn, it was right. blamed on the communists in Tudor, but it was probably these yeah. guys. These guys, yeah. Today. So yeah. after the assassination of Razmara, Tamasibi told interrogators, if I have rendered a humble service, it was for the Almighty in order to deliver the deprived Muslim people of Iran from foreign serfdom. Yes. However, <laughs> some historians don't believe that it was Tamasibi that actually fired the the bullet that killed the prime minister. Right. Yeah. Like all of these Sorry, sorts of things, there are conspiracy theories. Abs absolutely, yeah. So evidence does suggest that the prime minister uh, was not killed by this young carpenter, again, not unlike Jesus, but by a soldier. And this is the part that I don't get. So I, I can see maybe having a theory about he wasn't the killer because he's just a kid. He would probably get nervous and miss like the other guy did when he was trying to kill the Shah. But supposedly it came from a soldier and it was on the orders either of the Shah or someone in the Shah's inner circle. And I'm like, well, how do you extrapolate that? We'll go into that in a minute. But anyways, and also the Asadullah Alam who drove him to the mosque supposedly knew what was going on or what was going to happen. And he was taking the prime minister to his death. So was it a conspiracy, kind of like the whole Caligula thing where the people on the inside were in on this? Who knows? And years later, a retired Iranian colonel wrote in his memoir that the shot came from a Colt revolver. And the important thing about that is only soldiers had access to those kinds of kind of guns. Supposedly, he wrote in his memoir, an army sergeant in civilian clothes was chosen for the deed. He had been told to shoot and kill Rosmarov with a Colt. The moment Tamashibi began to shoot. Those who examined the wounds in Rosmaro's body were in no doubt that he had been killed by a Colt bullet, not by the bullet of a weak gun. So again, it's in his memoirs, it's years later, it's circumstantial, I guess, or circumspect, whatever the proper term is. But again, when you have an assassination of this caliber, there are going to be rumors. But my question to you, Cam, is if you're the Shah why kill your prime minister just because he's doing a bad job? He is the Shah. You can just fire him. You can just replace him. Did he feel like he needed some drama? Was he bored? I mean, what was your take on, on the idea of Shah killing someone, having someone killed that he could have easily fired? Or maybe not easily fired. Who knows? Yeah, well, 
I guess you, you you kill somebody like that if for a number of reasons. Um, right. Number one, if you just think they failed you badly, they deserve to yeah. die. They don't Personal. deserve retirement. Number two, if they have dirt on you, oh, and gotta you go. Think that if if they gotta just go. uh, if you try and remove them, they will blackmail you or blame right. you or they'll be danger to you after they go. Third, it gives you an opportunity to clamp down security wise. Right. Uh, an execution of, of the leading politicians. Oh, things are getting crazy. Yes. Oh, yeah. We, we've got to yeah. crack down. National emergency. Uh, yeah. you know, More troops the on the dogs. streets. Yeah. Good now, point. there's a book I've got uh, by uh, an Iranian historian called uh, Omar Katutsian called Mossadegh mm. and the Struggle for Power in Iran. He's got some interesting background to this. He says, Razmara right. was assassinated on the 7th of March, 1951. While attending a funeral service at a mosque in Tehran, the self-confessed assassin was Khalil Tamasabi, Tamasibi, a member of the Fari'in Islam, but there is a strong probability that the Shah was involved in the plot, just as it is generally believed that Razmara had known about the unsuccessful attempt on the Shah's life two years earlier. Oh, shit. Okay. So maybe it was payback uh, for whatever the fuck that was. Yeah, it is right. clear right. from the above analysis that the Shah so desperately wanted to get rid of Razmara that he'd been sending Jamal Imami to Mossadegh with the offer of premiership while Razmara was still prime minister. Wow! Immediately after the assassination, Sayed Zia, remember him from our earlier episodes? He was one of the guys that helped bring the Shah to power in the first place. He got yes. rid of the Qajar dynasty and brought the first Shah, the Shah's dad, to power. The Syed Zia had confided in his friends that he believed that the Shah was involved in the accident uh, incident. Right. The, Say- the Syed had related that he was with the Shah when Asadullah Alam, who had accompanied Razmara to the mosque where he was shot dead, had hurriedly arrived at the palace and joyfully told the Shah, they killed him and we are relieved. Wow. The belief in the Shah's involvement in the affair was much more widespread and went as far as Mossadegh himself, who was neither a friend of Syed Zia nor of Razmara. For right. example, in a Majlis meeting of May 1951, shortly after he had been named Prime Minister, spoiler alert, Mossadegh <laughs> strongly hinted that the Shah had been behind the general's assassination. We thus read in the entry for 14th of May 1951 in Nazir Kashaki's recently published diaries, Arbab Shakro, that's Barum Shakro, a close confidant of the Shah, said right. afterwards, His Majesty is extremely angry because yesterday Dr. Mossadegh had said in the Majlis when the Shah told him he had issued orders for his protection, Mossadegh had replied, the guards will not be more trustworthy than those of Razmara, meaning that the Shah had been involved in the killing of Razmara. This has made the Shah very angry. You can't trust anybody, for fuck's sake. And then he quotes uh, uh, an Iranian colonel who later on in life, his name was Musava Ramani. Mm. Uh, His detailed discussion of the event in his recent memoirs has left little room for speculation that the plot had had different sides to it. Thus he writes, an army sergeant in civilian clothes was chosen for the deed. He had been Mm -hmm. told to shoot and kill Razmara with a colt the moment Tamasibi began to shoot. Those who had examined the wounds in Razmara's body were in no doubt that he'd been killed by a colt bullet, not by the bullet of a weak gun. Mm. So um, there's more who to knows? this. But yeah, there you go. So it's, it seems yeah. like um, the Shah had his own prime minister killed right. for whatever reason. Now, later on in 1954, Nawab Safavi, the founder mm-hmm. of the Fedayeen, took credit for, for the death himself in a speech, saying that he right. personally fired the gun that killed Razmara. So lots of credit to go around. Everyone was like, no, no, I, I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. All I know is that the Shah knew he was going to get rid of Razmari. He didn't want to go through that awkward exit interview. You know, we've all been there before, so he just had him whacked. I think – I. It's just a lot easier uh, to do. But the point is he needs another prime minister. 
And, and, and the drama doesn't stop. One day after the prime minister is killed, Mossadegh's oil committee voted unanimously to nationalize the Anglo-Iranian oil company. So again, remember a couple, when we talked about this last time, the committee, I think it's like 18 members, something like that. They were like, no, no, nationalizing is going too far. Let's just reject the supplemental agreement. Now, the big moss has won them over and they are, you know, they want to nationalize it. But now, of course, they have to take it to the Majlis in general. But the point is, Mossadegh is making progress while the Shah's government is falling apart. I actually have a recording here of oh, the speech that they gave yeah. after they um, shut down the um, oil agreement. Right. The anus is now closed. Ooh, good move. <laughs> I'm not sucking nothing. <laughs> oh, so fuck me. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It's painful. This has an happy ending. <laughs> I love happy endings. Yeah. I'm coming. <laughs> I would suck his dick. Okay. Maybe some of those weren't from the actual speech. That is where we're going to leave this episode. We'll be back next time with uh, Cold War Operation Ajax. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. <laughs>